0: Any giant bearded man with a pink umbrella You may end up with a piggy tail On this episode, it's the episode of Hagrid As Vernon Dursley has a nervous breakdown Hagrid makes a grand re-entrance into our hearts and into the story He finally tells Harry how he really lost his parents And that he's a wizard And instead of taking out his anger on Vernon and or Petunia Hagrid gives Dudley a little makeover We take a closer look at Hagrid as the character how he fits into Dumbledore's plan, and I'll also theorize how this would have all gone down if Harry had just read the first letter he received in the hallway. Thanks for listening to Belated Binge. I'm Zach. Feel free to think of me as your guide back into the world of Harry Potter. In this one, we're diving into chapters three and four of Sorcerer's, or Philosopher's, Stone, as a little two-for-one special. The Belated Binge Podcast. <laughs> hi and welcome to the belated binge podcast my name's zach i'm your host throughout this whole revisiting journey of some of the most iconic series in recent memory that aside from their impact on pop culture also have one other key thing in common i nearly missed out on them completely when these series were at their peak of popularity i was nowhere to be found until many years later sometimes over a decade that's the belated part But now that I've come around, they become some of my favorite forms of entertainment. So we're going to revisit them each, episode by episode, chapter by chapter, moment by moment, taking a deep dive into world building, character development, plot holes, theories, themes, and we're going to give away some meaningless awards in each episode. That's the binge part. Together they make the belated binge. And today we continue our reread of the Harry Potter series with chapters three and four of The Sorcerer's Stone, letters from no one and the keeper of the keys but first this podcast will have spoilers as we dissect each chapter we're looking at character motivations and key moments that impact the greater story this podcast also has the potential for some adult language and occasional adult content we will definitely try not to let it get too far out of hand but it may happen sometimes to catch you up Our first two chapter episodes covered the first two chapters of the series. We're introduced to a few key characters, we've gotten the foundation of Dumbledore's grand plan, and we've gotten to know a little bit about our protagonist, Harry, and his depressing existence with the Dursleys. Also, he can talk to snakes. Today, we cover the next two chapters in Sorcerer's Stone, starting with our play-by-play. Play-by-play If you're new to Belated Binge, the play-by-play section is where we give a recap of what happened in the chapter. You know, play by play. In chapter three, Letters from No One, there's plenty of funny moments, but nothing really happens. It all basically starts with Harry getting sent to grab the mail. He finds a letter addressed to himself in the cupboard under the stairs, which is hilarious that they knew it was there. But naturally, Dudley is a complete little turd about it, and Vernon won't let him have his letter, shooing both boys out of the room, not just Harry, while he and Petunia completely freak out behind closed doors, thinking that the boys can't see them freaking out. It's a bit odd that they aren't more welcoming of Harry receiving a letter to go off to a boarding school for the bulk of the year. They hate him living there, but it shows they hate the idea of being associated with wizards even more. They'd rather hide and keep him chained to a pipe in their basement, then be rid of him, knowing he was doing magic. Of course, they suck, so the idea of them keeping Harry from anything that could possibly bring him joy falls right into character. And so, the chapter goes on. Vernon is more and more crappy, he's going more and more crazy, trying to keep these letters out of the house and away from Harry. The one positive thing that comes from the first letter is that Harry gets a bedroom instead of a cupboard. So our sophomore wizard rock album is officially going to be called Hallways of Doom to the Smallest Bedroom. But they're not doing it to be nice. This is what Vernon tries to pull off in the chapter and it just falls flat and even Harry knows that this is crap. They do it because they realize the wizards know how crappy they've been to Harry and they think if they treat him just slightly less like a prisoner, just a tad more like a living, breathing human, the magic people will magically forget how shitty they've been to this magic kid and decide not to bring him to the magic school. But then, more letters. And more letters. I personally like to think that this is Dumbledore getting just a small bit of pleasure in messing with them. After all, our running theory... Of is that Dumbledore is controlling this entire story, the whole narrative, from off page. And so we're assuming that he's fully aware that they've been treating Harry like garbage for the past 10 years. And now, they're trying to keep him from attending Hogwarts. He could have sent someone to the house. He could have shown up himself. He could have just alohamored his way right through the front door and told him all what's up. He kind of does that in chapter six, or not chapter, book six, rather. But he knows that they're being awful. He also knows that they're afraid. So he's like, all right, go ahead. You want to keep the letters away from Harry? Here's a few more. Oh, board up the letter slot? Here's a few, you know, through the windows. Block those up? All right. Here they are in milk bottles, chicken eggs. I not so secretly hope that somewhere off page, Vernon laid a letter himself during his morning constitutional. And when Harry can't get a hold of any of these letters, bam, flood the house, through the chimney, letters everywhere. Side note, at this point, someone at Hogwarts, if not Dumbledore himself, has to be thinking, how is this kid completely unable to grab a single one of these letters? Not one. Not, not one. Oh well. Keep torturing the muggles. It's fun. Oh look, they're running to a motel. Letters. To the point that Vernon has completely lost his mind. He's terrified, he's unhinged, he gets a gun, some snacks, and he forces the family into a small boat, out to a small shack, on a small rock, in a not-so-small rainstorm. And guess what? As Harry's laying on the cold floor, with a moldy blanket, counting down the seconds until it's his birthday at midnight. Bang, bang, bang. Haggard at the door the lead single off of our new album. So that's it for chapter three, really. So then in chapter four, Keeper of the Keys, it begins with Hagrid knocking at the door. And by knocking, I mean knocking the whole thing down and coming inside. Cause that's what you do. This is where we get like a really robust exposition info dump for the story. But first we have to get some comedy. He's literally a gentle giant asking for tea or booze and then ties Vernon's rifle into a knot, which just, it reads very Looney Tunes, very cartoonish. And, you know, just to be clear about this, he does not mistake Dudley for Harry. I believe this is also the first mention that we get of Harry's appearance, in particular, how he looks like his father and has his mother's eyes, which is something we're going to hear roughly... 4,045,486 times before the series is over also he doesn't misspell everything on the cake just saying he introduces himself as rubius hagrid keeper of keys and grounds at hogwarts before discreetly creating a fire and cooking some sausages for him and harry This is where things start to get real. When he realizes that Harry has never heard of Hogwarts, he's completely shocked. And at this point, you have to wonder, is this news to just Hagrid, or is Dumbledore also under the impression that the Dursleys would have told Harry about the wizard school like, you know, he intended with that letter in chapter one when he... Left the baby on the doorstep to be kidnapped by anybody? It seems more likely that Dumbledore is pretty aware that they kept this secret by now. Particularly since it was so hard to get Harry a letter, which he still hasn't received, by the way. But Dumbledore just didn't share this bit of information with Hagrid. Why? Was this an oversight? Maybe. But for me, it's a lot more fun to think he withheld this information intentionally for just this moment as part of his grand plan. And we have a theory as to why he would do that. And we're going to dig into that theory over on Theory Corner on Patreon. If you're new to the podcast, one thing you're going to hear about is Theory Corner. This is where we pick either a popular and really interesting fan theory to dive into, you know, deeper or to expand upon it, or in some cases, they'll just be original theories that are birthed right here on Belated Binge. If this is the type of discussion that does interest you, please join us over on Patreon, where patrons can enjoy exclusive content like this, as well as early access to podcast episodes. There's other bonus content that gets posted to Patreon as well. Some things are just going to be Harry Potter related. Some things are going to be like award banquets at the end of the books. After we get them done, we'll do like a recap episode of all the awards that we handed out and things like that. So it's fun and we appreciate the support. So head on over to Patreon and get that exclusive content. It's also. At least we intended for it to be uh, priced very accessible. So at this point, Hagrid, who started as a little bit confused, is now just getting pissed. He turns on the Dursleys and begins just shouting things like this boy, this boy doesn't know anything, which Harry thinks is a bit overkill because he's not an idiot after all. He has no idea that Hagrid is talking about not knowing anything about the wizarding world or about his parents and how they were killed or about himself, truly. He's shocked, he's livid, and thus the exposition begins. He tells Harry about his parents, how he's famous, he tells him he's a wizard. This is the part where we mention that the famous line from the movie isn't actually how it's written in the book. I personally find this way less annoying than other liberties taken in this scene that I've already hinted to a little bit, like, you know, discreetly making the fire or, uh, you know, not mistaking Dudley for Harry. But this is not a a movie-to-book review. We can do that later in the context of their own story and canon. Uh, TBD on exactly how we put that together. But that's coming... And it's not happening here, so I need to stop. <laughs> uh, but now, after more than a chapter, Harry finally gets to read his letter, and we get confirmation that Dumbledore is the one who sent Hagrid. We get this because that's who Hagrid writes his letter to to say, hey, I got him. You know, like, he's safe. I gave Harry his letter. We're going to go to Diagon Alley. Everything's cool. So obviously, he addressed this directly to Dumbledore. So it was Dumbledore who said, hey, go get Harry. It wasn't something that was uh, predetermined, at least, that we can tell outside of the scope of Dumbledore's grand plan, of course. Because I have to imagine, Hagrid isn't the one making house calls to Muggle-born wizards every day. This is a Harry thing. Uh, but we get the information in confirmation that the Dursleys knew that Harry was a wizard this entire time, and that they don't want him going to Hogwarts. We get Petunia calling her sister a freak. We get a real sense of where the hatred for Harry truly stems from for these people, particularly Petunia, who hated her sister. Or at least, that's how it's presented now. But we know in a reread that this might not truly be hatred. In The Prince's Tale, in the final book of the series, we learn that Petunia didn't always hate her sister, or even think she was a freak. We learn that Petunia was actually jealous of Lily having magical abilities, and getting to go to the special magic school. So much that she wrote to Hogwarts herself to request that they let her in too. And guess who responded, politely, denying her? Albus? Wolfric Percival Brian Dumbledore. Perhaps this is why Dumbledore would know or at least think that Petunia would not only take Harry in as a baby, but might even want to take him in. Or at least understand the seriousness of the situation enough to know that it was magically necessary to keep her nephew safe from a murderous lunatic. So is it hatred? Or is it jealousy? I might even say that it's hatred born from jealousy, which there probably aren't many stronger forms of negative feelings towards any other human than, than that, really. Uh, the exposition continues. We learn about the car crash lie. Harry finds out that his parents were murdered. And then the tone shifts. Hagrid wasn't expecting to have to explain all this. He assumed that Harry already knew. It was in the letter Dumbledore left on the doorstep so they would have told him, duh. No, of course not. Now he goes into a whole thing about Voldemort, the fear, the wizarding war, how his parents fought for good, how Voldemort went after them, how he killed them, how he tried to kill Harry, and how he failed. How Hagrid himself took him from the house. And something I forgot? was that the Dursleys jumped in and called it a load of crap, basically how the world is better without Harry's parents. And that's when Hagrid began to lose his mind and threatened them with his umbrella, which we know holds shards of his broken wand. More exposition about Voldemort disappearing and how Harry was the reason he was gone. Basically a hero to the wizarding world and to these people that are you know, hidden away from Muggles. And this is where we see more of Harry's character come through. He immediately doesn't believe it. He can't allow himself to believe that he's special. It's this humbleness that ultimately leads him to becoming a worthy hero by the end of this book series. If he would have just jumped up and been like, ha, in your face, Dursleys, I'm awesome. I'm special. I'm amazing. He wouldn't have had the likableness of, you know, the main character of the story. Sure but he also likely wouldn't have had the emotional capacity or maturity later in the story to ultimately sacrifice himself for others. Of course, we can't end this chapter without a note about Vernon getting brave, insulting Dumbledore, and Dudley paying the price with a pig's tail courtesy of Hagrid's special umbrella. It ends with the Dursleys hiding away, the two of them going to sleep in the living room, I I guess, of the little hut, with Haggard stuffing himself onto the couch, and they have a plan to go get Harry's supplies in the morning. And that's how Chapter 4 ends, and thus how we get into our scouting report. Scouting Report The scouting report segment on the Belated Binge podcast is much like the scouting report for your favorite team's best draft prospect or the best player from the team that you're going to be facing in the coming week or in the coming days if you're into sports. If you're into Harry Potter, the scouting report is about deep diving into the character that we choose out of the chapter that we're covering in each episode. One character going into what we learned about them and some of the characteristics that are brought to light in the chapter that we read. Today, we're obviously going to be focusing in on Hagrid. We get a really good look at Hagrid as a character, and three things really jumped out as being noteworthy and, and fun to discuss for this section of the podcast. And the first thing is his affection for Harry. He's genuinely happy to see him after not having any contact at all for a decade. He clearly bonded with Harry when he dropped him off on the doorstep, just like Dumbledore wanted him to. If you've listened to the show to this point, you know our Dumbledore grand plan theory. But Hagrid is legitimately surprised and actually infuriated to learn that Harry was kept in the dark and that he's been lied to about his parents for his entire life. He's visibly upset about Lily and James, even 10 years later. He shows his admiration and his emotion about them and for them when he's bringing them up and talking to Harry about what really happened to them. He's quick to stand up to the Dursleys when they try to cut Harry down, a natural defender for Harry. And this all lines up perfectly for the position that Dumbledore has put him in on the chessboard. Why is Dumbledore able to have this incredibly valuable chess piece? Hagrid's loyalty loyal, loyalty, Hagrid's loyalty to Dumbledore. And that's the second thing that is worth talking about in this chapter. He's there on Dumbledore's orders. He sent the letter to give him a heads up. As soon as he gets Harry his letter and as soon as he's got eyes on the boy who lived, the chosen one is safe. You know, <laughs> what is, like the Secret Service, we got the president. That's silly. He's clearly not been given all the information, but he doesn't care. He was happy to walk in into a very complicated situation. He shows no sign of frustration toward Dumbledore at all for not giving him the heads up that, hey, Harry doesn't know about anything, as Hagrid would say it. He immediately loses his cool as soon as Vernon insults Dumbledore. After everything that's taken place in this hut, he's held it together at least enough. He's not squashed these people like a bug. He hasn't taken off a shoe, thrown it at their heads. I don't know why he would. He hasn't, I don't know, he's got pockets everywhere. Pockets on pockets on pockets in his trench coat. And he could have he pulled one of those rats out and threw them at their face. He could have done anything to these people to physically harm them. And he's not done that up until the point. That Vernon has crackpot old fool come out of his mouth. This is when little Duddykins gets a piggy tail. Even after you know being expelled, he stayed on to work the grounds at Hogwarts. Because Dumbledore gave him that opportunity, but also the affection and affinity he feels towards Dumbledore as a father figure. It, think back, as we know, as we're rereading this series. Hagrid's father died sometime when he was at Hogwarts, I, before he was expelled. I can't remember the exact timeline. I want to say it was uh, in his, around his second or third year or so that his father passed away. And that's also right before he was expelled. He could have been thrown out into the street. This would have been, what, a 13, 14-year-old kid, half-giant kid, so a little bit more um, physically ready to handle things that could come his way, at least in the threat department, or having to, I don't know, hunt for food. But he was still a child that was thrown out of school, his wand was snapped in half, by the way the only person that we know whose wand was actually snapped in half when they were expelled. Newt still has a wand in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, Grindelwald still has a wand always after being expelled from Dernstrang. I mean, sure, they could have different rules, but it seems weird that Hagrid's the only one that we know that's wand has actually been snapped in half. But he could have gone anywhere. He could have done anything. Dumbledore keeps him on as groundskeeper, and he happily accepts, and he seems to love the job he seems to love the kids he seems to love Hagrid or Hagrid Hagrid seems to love Hogwarts and he seems to truly love being there and being around and unlike Dumbledore Hagrid is also an open book and that's the third thing that really stands out in uh, the chapter Keeper of the Keys is this openness that he has with Harry Hagrid opens up the entire wizarding world to Harry immediately. As soon as he learns that this is just information that Harry doesn't have at this point, he goes. It's exposition time. It's time to bring this boy up to speed. You deserve to have this information. He doesn't hold back anything to not upset him. He doesn't talk around things or try to pass the buck to someone else to bring him up to speed later. He just tells him what's up he straight up tells Harry, hey, I'm not allowed to use magic because I was expelled from Hogwarts. So, you know, maybe don't rat me out when you get there because pink umbrella and piggy tail. But he catches plenty of crap in this book and in future books and for people in this fandom for being overly forthcoming and letting things slip as the series goes on. But when everyone else is hiding things from Harry, When people are straight up lying to Harry, we plant the seed right now for one adult character in this story that's going to actually tell him stuff and actually give him information when he doesn't have it. And we get that in Hagrid. And it all starts right here. He's a very interesting character study from these books. He has plenty of flaws. He has plenty of fumbles along the way. But he's loyal. He's protective. And he's a great confidant for Harry to have. Maybe not father figure, but a really, really cool crazy uncle. With that, let's get into our foreshadow segment. Foreshadow. The foreshadow segment on the Belated Binge podcast is where we quite literally do that. We look at four moments in the series that we want to, or in the chapter, I guess you could say, that foreshadow something to come later in the series, and for this episode or this couple of episodes chapters three and four of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone we kind of boiled it down there's a little bit of a theme to them that is interesting and what honestly wasn't intentional uh, but a lot of these are quotes and the first one is don't think he had enough human left in him to die this is Hagrid talking to Harry about Voldemort and why he just vanished after trying to kill Harry as a baby and this is 100% 100% a horcrux foreshadow. Voldemort split his soul into several pieces to become immortal, less human. We're in book one, chapter four at this point, in a seven book series arc. We already get a hint at how the big bad did what he did and what our heroes will have to contend with in order to beat him. And it's not going to happen for you know seemingly ever. The second thing is that we learn that he was expelled in this chapter as well. This is a key plot point for the next book when we learn, you know, why he was expelled. He was framed by Voldemort, by the way, for opening the Chamber of Secrets, the death of Moaning Myrtle before she was moaning Myrtle in the bathroom, and his, let's call it a vacation to Azkaban that all happened in the second book. And it makes it all that more heart wrenching when we learn in the second book that he was innocent all along. He could have been doing magic. Not only that, he could have continued his career and his education at Hogwarts. Maybe he would still be the groundskeeper. That's possible because he likes that job. Or maybe he would have gone straight into a job, you know, with a little bit more panache or maybe it wouldn't have been so long for him to just become a teacher if that's what he wanted to do he would have had so many more options and probably a lot fewer people who were looking at him sideways and as lesser than them knowing that he's already different he's a half giant whether he says it out loud or not because of the connotation that it holds in the wizarding world he still is he looks different than everybody else and These people know he's not allowed to do magic. He doesn't have a wand. He was expelled. He did something bad. He's scary. He's big and he's scary. That's ultimately what ends up, I think, happening to him in probably the majority of public eye. We know the characters that we get to know in this series don't treat Hagrid that way. But I'm sure in wizarding society, that's very common for him. And it's all because of this frame job and the fact that he was expelled. And that sucks. But it is a foreshadow. The third thing was, uh, another quote, I was the only one who saw her for who she was. A freak. This is Petunia finally opening up about her sister, the witch. She despises her. But of course... As we mentioned earlier, we learned later in the series that Petunia was actually jealous of Lily being magical, and she wanted the opportunity to go to Hogwarts too. This is jealousy that grew and grew into the awful human that we see in these chapters. But the foreshadow here is what we learned later in the Prince's Tale about that exchange and her familiarity with the Wizarding World. And not only that, but her familiarity with Snape as a character and her familiarity with things to come when she surprises us, like knowing who the Dementors were and having genuine, uh, what, how do I want to say genuine fear when she kind of comes to grips and has that moment of like, so this Voldemort guy is back. Like she feels that whereas Vernon thinks it's just like some wacky cartoon character that's not worth his time the fourth thing that we want to foreshadow for this episode is another quote nobody lived once he decided to kill him bad haggard impression but that's his quote to harry explaining his parents deaths we later learn how harry survived of course through lily's sacrifice why voldemort went after him in the first place the prophecy and of course how Voldemort survived that rebounding killing curse through the Horcruxes. So it's one little sentence and it foreshadows so many things to come and holds a lot of weight. And these are just four, you know, these, there are these Easter egg moments littered throughout all of the chapters in this series. And we're going to talk about a ton of them in this foreshadow segment, but because it's not a 12 shadow or a 15 shadow, we're not going to catch them all. Uh, so if anything stands out to you and you have any foreshadows that you would like to share with us, go ahead and let us know. Uh, you can get a hold of us on social media. You can email the show at binge at gmail. Uh, we're legitimately interested in what you have to say and things that you pick up on during this reread that we maybe don't share uh, in the foreshadow segment or in our next segment, which I think is also something that would be very interesting to get more of your opinions on and that is our game of inches segment a game of inches the game of inches segment on the belated bench podcast is where we dissect a decision that happened or that was made during the chapter and what kind of ripple effect that had on the series had it been made just slightly different what if a character didn't do one thing that they did, and how might that snowball and change what happens at you know by the end of this series? And so uh, the the scenario that we want to play out in today's game of inches is: what if Harry read his letter in the hallway before he brought the rest of the mail into the kitchen? It's not crazy to think he'd be excited. Nobody's ever written to him before in his life. Why not just open it right there and check out what's inside? It sounds like, oh, well, we wouldn't have gotten all of this fun that happened in these next couple of chapters. But I wonder, you know, sure, we miss out on comedy. We miss out on a Vernon nervous breakdown. They probably wouldn't have ended up in a rock in the middle of the sea. But would the Dursleys have been honest with him if he came to the information himself? Would they try to play it off as some kind of sick prank? Because witchers and wizards aren't real, little boy. You're just being silly. Don't ask questions. Don't you know? Have an imagination. Don't eat more than crackers and cheese. Don't exist, please. They're awful. But what would they do? You know, would, how would they have handled Harry bringing them this information? Would Hagrid have still had to come to the house? You know, to get him just from there instead of out on a rock, would the school have known to send somebody when Harry didn't respond? Would they have just, you know, assumed that he read the letter? They would have to know that he at least read the letter because otherwise that's why they kept sending them. It's not because he didn't respond, it's because they knew he didn't read it, right? Please respond via OWL is one of the things that the letters said at the end. If he just doesn't respond, do they just assume he's not coming? They wouldn't have to send a million more letters, but would the Dursleys, like, they wouldn't let him go, right? They would never let him just go if they felt like they had any choice in the matter. In fact, like, would Harry have even believed it himself? He had a hard enough time when an eight-foot-tall half-giant told him he's never going to believe some random letter that came from some school he's never heard of. Would he have ever, ever made it to Hogwarts? Of course he would. He's the main protagonist in our story, but how? Would Dumbledore have come and gotten him? Would this be the, you know... We have to believe it wouldn't have been Harry Potter in the Dusty Cupboard that's a short story that lives on... I don't know... Hulu... Short... Or I don't know. What? I'm I'm an old man. Rock Chisel... This... Owl delivery would be way better for me than trying to remember all of the different streaming sites that I have access to. It's a nightmare. Anyway, it wouldn't. We have to have a seven book, you know, mega series, right? So obviously he has to find his way to Hogwarts. But like, he's the boy who lived with muggles. So presumably someone was going to have to come and get him to get things to go, right? Like, even if it was Hagrid. Assume he read the letter. Assume he had reservations and reacted in the same way that he did when Hagrid told him, "I'm not special. I'm Harry. I I can't be a wizard. You have the wrong address." How did you know I'm in the cupboard under? What kind of sick joke is this? Who's sending this? Is this Piers? I you know that I feel like that would be in character for Harry's response to this. So even if Hagrid showed up at the door, would Harry feel the same bond for him or the same fondness? If they didn't share the moment the way that they did get to share it? Or would he just be, you know, some big scary looking dude who took him to get his books and instead of, you know, the big friendly giant that defended him against his crappy aunt and uncle and defended his parents and showed that emotion and showed that reaction and showed that they're truly allies and showed that he truly cares about Harry. Harry needed that, I think, to build up the trust of not only Hagrid, but I think it probably cemented, or at least allowed the cementation. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, I think it allowed him to trust the wizarding world the way that Hagrid showed up as a defender. And I think that made a big difference for how Harry perceived this whole introduction to the wizarding world from the beginning. I don't know. it. That's obviously not the story that we get. We have the story that we have and that we get to enjoy rereading, but it is is still interesting to think of how things could be different if, again, just one one small thing, one small decision was changed and what kind of ripple effect that could have. Before we get out of here, let's give away our meaningless awards. Today, we are going to start with the Game Ball. The Game Ball. The Game Ball Award on the Belay to Binge podcast is where we we just, all we're doing here is commemorating our MVP for each episode. And for this one, I I don't even think I need to say it. It's Hagrid. Duh. He finds Harry on an abandoned rock. He gives him valuable information that he had been withheld for his entire life. He opens up his world to a new and exciting future. Also terrifying. He rescues Harry. He's the lost relative that comes to save him that he had hoped for in the last episode. They aren't blood-related, but they are family. So the game ball goes to Hagrid. Now, how about the red card? Red card? The red card award is for the character that we want to get out of here. We want to disqualify them from the rest of the book if we can help it, but obviously it doesn't work that way, so let's just say they suck. This is Vernon. He's the worst. He's treating Harry awful before he gets the letter. He tries to stop him from getting the letter altogether. He drags his family around the entire continent, it seems, and off somewhere in the middle of the sea. I mean, we get the impression that the motel that... Vernon takes them to is the type of place where you don't want to be when it's dark out and I'm not going to you know I don't want to say too many things like um drugs or um prostitution on, on this podcast but it's guys it's one of them shady kind of places and he tries to get there just to escape some letters showing up at his house because he doesn't want his nephew wizard boy going to wizard school he's awful they are related by blood they are not family and when hagrid does show up he's incredibly rude he's incredibly disrespectful he's i mean threatening to shoot him i guess although again very looney tunes we get the tying the shotgun into a pretty little bow which is i guess funny in some weird way but he's he's the worst not just to harry he's the worst to hagrid he's the worst to his family in this sec, uh, you know, couple of chapters, and he he just sucks. So it would be really great if we could throw him out of the game, throw him out of the books, throw him out of the series completely, because Vernon has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. That leads us into our final award for this episode of the Belated Binge Podcast, which is our fumble award. Fumble. The Fumble Award is where we, instead of looking at characters in the story, we look at the story itself, and we look at the text, we look at the things that happen, and where does the chapter or chapters that we're covering, where does it kind of drop the ball? That's where the Fumble Award comes from. And for this one, we have a couple of things. Um, Lily and James, head boy and head girl at Hogwarts back in their day. We learn later that Lupin was actually the prefect. Of their year, not James. So, unless I'm mistaken in my Wizarding World knowledge, which I could be, it's very possible. I'm. I like this. Uh, I like this story. I like this fandom. I, I like some of the companion stuff that goes with it. I like Harry Potter. I. I like that I've kind of turned into a Potterhead at this point in time, but I'm not all-knowing. I am not an encyclopedia for the Wizarding World. I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that you can't be head boy without being prefect first. So how is it possible that Lily and James were head boy and head girl at Hogwarts back in their day if James was never a prefect I think this is probably just an oversight at the beginning of a story that was still being fleshed out and probably wasn't known at this time how large and expansive it was going to go. And some of these rules just didn't exist in the author's head yet. The second thing is similar to that. It says Hagrid says that he flew out to the rock and the sea, but that there's no detail to that. There's no there's no. Come again, by Harry, and we get a little bit of exposition on how that actually physically worked. But later on in the series, he's too big for a broom. Only Voldemort and Snape, in the canon of the books, books, are able to fly on their own without you know broom or uh, other means. It's. I have to come to the conclusion that this might've been a particularly strong Thestral because he does you know, breed the, the group of Thestrals that are at Hogwarts and Dumbledore does fly on Thestrals to go places sometimes. And, you know, our, uh, our heroes in book five, uh, fly on Thestrals to go to London. So there is some, you know, some canon to that, uh, it gets a little bit tossed on its head for the Seven Potters when he shows up on the motorcycle. I I don't think it's expressed directly that, he, that Hagrid is too big for a Thestral, but perhaps Hagrid and Harry riding on the same Thestral is too much for a Thestral to handle, and maybe this is a special Thestral that was able to take him to the rock. We don't really know, but Thestral is my best guess. However, I do like this little thought that came to me right before recording this episode, and that is what if it was Fox the Phoenix? Hmm this is a mission from Dumbledore. Fox is Dumbledore's Phoenix. Phoenixes can lift extremely heavy things. Eight foot half giants are extremely heavy things. And I'm, I'm just saying, there could be something here, and it's kinda of fun to think about, but I think at this point, again, the author just hadn't really grasped the rules of flying for this world quite yet. So it was left kind of intentionally vague and it didn't quite hold up for the rest of the series. That's just my guess. I could be totally wrong. Feel free to let me know what you think. Uh, With that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Belated Binge Podcast. So thank you for listening as always. Shout out to our producer Jack, who we always work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review, five stars, please, if you enjoyed the show. Uh, become a patron over on Patreon for early access and exclusive content that we have over there. We're also on social media at belated binge on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our show segments are available on YouTube, and we want to hear from you. So leave us a comment on any of those places. You can slide into the dms uh, or you can email the show at belated binge at gmail if you're reading along next week we're going to tackle 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 we are going to tackle chapter five of sorcerer's stone diagon alley which is a big chapter so we're only doing one otherwise we'll see you next time on the belated binge podcast it's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast belated binge is a fully independent production i read the books write the script record the episode edit the recording pick and produce the sounds manage the content schedule manage social media promote the podcast and feed producer jack any costs from equipment to software to website development marketing any of that comes out of my pocket and despite how many times I've been told we look alike. I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, Hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell everyone of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, GoodPods, PodChaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belated binge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well there are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from one dollar to twenty dollars with all the bells and whistles so Benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shout-outs, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that will unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a Patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it.